This podcast has bad words in it. You have been warned. I'm Zach Bohannon. I make my living telling stories, but I'm also a metalhead, retired drummer, avid gamer, and most importantly, a loving husband and father. Join me each week as I sit down with a fellow dad and discuss balancing a creative life with family, careers, hobbies, and all the other things guys love. This is the Creator Dad Podcast. Dude, I got to say, Craig, talking to someone who is a uh, voice actor, I love that you're in your voice, your booth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's, you know, if we're going to do some audio, let's do it right. You might as well. There's no echo or anything going on. So it's <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. It is weird. Uh, it's kind of weird seeing you on here, you know, because I'm, I'm just used to your your voice being in my head from narrating so many of my books at this point. So <laughs> yeah, you've listened to uh, dozens of hours of me talking. A lot of hours of you. <laughs> yeah. And you've read a ton, you've read hours and hours of my books. So <laughs> many. Yes. <laughs> so what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good. I'm just, uh, you know, plugging along. I finished a book uh, yesterday, um, actually uh, the 10th book in a series, a post-apoc oh, wow. series. And uh, actually, I'll be moving on to one of our books next week. Nice. That's good to hear. What was and, the book you, what was the series you've been working on that you finished yesterday? Uh, I just finished book 10 of a, a series called Dark Road. And it's a, it's kind of, it has a serial quality in that there's no big, huge arc, but there's sort of uh, a lot of mini quests, <laughs> I guess you could say, nice. for this family just trying to get back together and get home after you know, the EMPs went off and, you know, we hit the, we hit the somebody getting an infection and having to get to a pharmacy in the apocalypse, which is oh nice a common, but favorite trope, honestly. It's yeah. Yeah. That's, so, yeah, that's, that's a good one. So it's uh it's, it's fun coming up with that stuff in the apocalypse. Like you, that that's a lot of the fun about writing it is just thinking about all the little things we take for granted. That would be really hard you know, to come across when you, whenever you're in an apocalyptic situation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've narrated probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 post-apocalyptic books. And like, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm ready, but I'll know how I'll die when it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, that totally makes sense. You know, it's it's almost like you're just prepping from reading all these books and stuff. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. I mean, I know another guy, Kevin Pierce, a narrator, he's, he's a big, big voice in the community and he, he'll go to the conventions and he actually like, he got a generator and he did. Oh, really? Oh yeah. He's gotten into it a little bit. He, uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned him. He actually narrated my business partner, Jay Thorne. Um, mm-hmm. him he wrote a series with a guy named glenn james that podium published mm. uh, uh that that he that kevin recorded he's an amazing narrator yeah absolutely he's he's a powerhouse i've i've hung out with him a bit and he's uh he's great now are you guys like in the voice like is it is it a pretty tight-knit community like do you guys conversate and talk to each other a lot and- i mean the audiobook community is not a huge community so yeah. you know you you kind of get in it there's there's a few cities that that are kind of hubs los angeles new york and a few other random little little cities strangely M- michigan <laughs> oh really yeah that's where one of the companies is located um in spacing on which one but uh they have studios there and stuff so but anyway, it's yeah, it's not a huge community, and 
Um, it is, yeah, I think you kind of get to know everybody there now pre COVID there would be conventions and get togethers and things, and they're just kind of starting up again. So we would see each other pretty often and there are pretty active Facebook groups as well. It's kind of the only reason I'm still on Facebook. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I think of them as friends and colleagues and, you know, they're all actors for the most part. So it's a good bunch of people to hang around. It's actually one of the nicest uh, communities I've ever been a part of in terms of, of that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah there's really nice. Yeah. I definitely have some stuff I want to ask you about regarding uh, audio and stuff, of course, Sure. but, but I'm also curious um, just cause this has been the news recently. what do you think about uh, Spotify buying find away voices? I mean, that was just one of those things. Somebody posted it, you know, immediately. And it was just like, what do we think of this? And it's like, nobody knows. Nobody, <laughs> like, yeah. There's been like, a lot. Yeah. I know on the author side, there's obviously been a lot of panic going on, but then there's also, uh, you know, people like Joanna Penn and, uh, you know, we talked, me and JD Barker and Jay talked about on Writers Inc. You know, we're a little more, I don't know, I'm optimistic that it's going to be a lot of people hear Spotify and they just freak out and they think that, yeah, they I, think I, that I, Spotify I feel... is just going to throw our books in and give us scent. But it's, I think yeah. that the book industry is in a little bit different position than the music industry was. I agree with you, and I'm not much of a panicker about these kinds yeah. of things. So I just look at it like, you know, they're not going to totally screw anybody they bought us okay so um and my headphones fell on they uh you know it's it's they're gonna it'll be fine you know it's yeah. it's it may not be perfect but you know it's it, there's not going to be some huge overnight change when something like that happens i mean i'm a spotify subscriber so yeah, me too. it's like you know whatever whatever more it doesn't invalidate any of the previous existing agreements either. So, I mean, the narrator community gets pretty crazy. Like there's been this thing with AI voices. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Yeah. Like I love my colleagues, but they get really panicky around AI voices. I tell you what, if they want to record my voice <laughs> and have me narrate a book without me doing it, and then pay me for it. I mean, I'm not feeling too bad about that, honestly. I'm That's like, really I'm good to hear. Yeah, I'm that... open to the idea. But for fiction, I don't feel like it'll work. I think for really particular stuff, if you want my voice to read a new, uh, you know, a New York Times article about something pretty dry, maybe that would make sense. But you're never going to replace the acting performance aspect of it. So I don't. I don't think. You know, I think it's it's. It's just not mature enough, and I don't think you're going to get an AI voice to act anytime soon. It's like a, it's like the Tesla self-driving car. They're like, oh yeah, it's it's two years away, but they've been saying that for twenty years or whatever, yeah. for ten years. <laughs> yeah, so. you 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 have the same kind of a similar opinion on it that I do. Like I, I've been saying the same thing. I think it's, uh, I think it's you know for nonfiction, I think that it is totally plausible and yeah. and can work. Um, I do think that eventually fiction will get there. I mean, I've, I've been saying the same thing as you um, on podcasts for years now, just like, I don't see how an AI can, can act out these different characters and stuff for a fiction book. But then recently, so my friend, my friend, uh, Joanna Penn, who I mentioned earlier, and mm -hmm. also Mark Leslie Lefebvre, who uh, works for the company Drafted Digital and used to work at Kobo. Um, he, yeah, yeah. They're, they're both really into AI. And recently, Joanna put out an AI narrated version of uh, her 
one of her her novels and i actually was really impressed i listened to a sample of it that she sent out mm-hmm. um and uh i was i was like wow okay this is a little closer than i thought but still you know but but i think what you brought up is a really good point as far as the narrator like there's there's nothing that you can do about the fact that people are working on that i mean there's, yeah, there's exactly. nothing you can do the and genie's I think you, out of the bottle yeah yeah it's and it's it's not going back in so like i think your attitude of well like if i can just build up my own brand and my reputation where they want to record my voice and i can license that out like i think that that's a really really good yeah. way to look at it that's terrific <laughs> i mean I, th- I think as long as it sounds like you know i'm not giving a consumer a really bad experience in some way if they're listening to it and it's kind of crappy and robotic well no i don't want that i don't want to want to ruin my my brand or whatever but um yeah i mean if it gets there then yeah i mean i'll embrace my robot overlords there i think the fear is that in the narrator community is like well like i have i don't know almost two thousand hours of me talking out there the fear is that a company would take it yeah and what's crazy is one of the big narrators in, in our community, Simon Vance, you probably have heard yeah, of. Yeah, I've heard of him, yeah, yeah. Huge, huge fantasy narrator. Um, and he ha- kind of had that happen. There was an AI company, a voice company, and you listened to it, and it literally the voice was called Simon, <laughs> and it sounded like him. And they were... And it was very odd. So, I mean, that's what you worry about, if anything. But, you know, these are the things it's like, you know, sort of complaining about it on a Facebook group. I don't know if it's going to help anything. So, it doesn't help it, anything. No, they're, they're trying to get the union involved, which is good. The, the actors union is, is pretty active with some of this stuff. And they, they're starting to put language in our contracts that say, you know, you can't hold on and use the, you can only use the recording sort of as intended, you know, as this is my performance. So, you know, I, I think it, yeah, it's coming in some form or another and it'll be kind of bumpy and we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm not, I'm just going to keep plugging along, you know, that's all you can do, man. I mean, yeah. and, and the good thing is that audible is not allowing these yeah. books to be sold right now. Like that could change in the future. Yeah. Um, but you, everyone I know who is selling AI narrated audiobooks, like I mentioned, Joanna and Mark, they do it. They just sell them on their own website. And, uh, but, but yeah, it's, you know, there's a, it's funny, man. There's a similar thing going on in the author community where, you know, there's AI out there that is, is learning to write books. And I was going to bring that up. Yeah. yeah I was going to bring that up. It, it's, there's some it's, really fun ones. Yeah. I, I know a lot of authors who are freaking out about that and I'm just like, there's nothing we can do about it. And, you know, there is an argument to be said about, I think that human beings are going to want to, are, are going to want to consume art that is made by other human beings now, yes. obviously, the problem is, is like, what if they don't know? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they, like there's authors on Amazon that you th- like as a reader, if you don't know any better, you just think it's like an author, but it's actually a whole company behind it. That's writing oh, yeah. those books. There's plenty yeah. of those examples. Yeah, I've worked and for some. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, you know, I, uh, and, and so what happens if a publisher, you know, you look at someone like Stephen King, for example, who has this huge library of books, like an AI could easily learn how to write a book like Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, as a sometime writer myself, I mean, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. I almost wish I could, I could get a draft of my own work (laughs) from an AI and go back and edit it and make it nice. The same way I've thought about like the, the AI voice thing again, like 
if if say I just recorded all the dialogue parts in uh, in a fiction book, and then the narrative was just you know neutral robot voice, that might work for some some books. <laughs> so you I know, thought about that. That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 possible. I mean, I do a lot. I work line by line, and th- I try to find within each sentence what the core idea is and you know people are aren't sitting there prone usually only listening to audiobooks they're driving they're working they're doing other stuff so you try to like make the meaning really clear i don't think an ai can do i don't think normal people understand or listeners understand kind of even what goes into into that part of the audiobook experience just like the writing experience you read and you're like oh there's these are sentences i know words i could i could put words <laughs> down. but you know i mean i think with your writing i i that i've experienced i mean i can see it i can see it in the writing and you know there's a lot behind it so it's hard for me to imagine an ai you know that kind of technology fully taking over either job and doing a really good job at it for a yeah. long time yeah, I mean, probably, I mean, maybe it'll happen in our lifetime. Like, I don't want to be ignorant and pretend it won't. But I, I think yeah. that for a while here, we probably don't have a whole lot to worry about. No, nah, <laughs> probably not. Probably. So, but it, yeah, it is. It is interesting, man. And like, you know, I it, it's the audiobook stuff is really fascinating to me just because it, it's funny. Like, I'll hear authors explain. Um, I'll hear authors, you know, sometimes complain about how much it costs and all that stuff. I'm like, well. Like, yeah. you know, I, I used to have a recording studio in my house as a musician. And so like I've recorded music. I understand what goes into even that part of it, you know, yeah. having to the, the whole recording process. And, you know, it's not like you're just reading the book. There's stuff yeah. that go into it. There's editing, there's mixing, like there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. There's just a lot of pure hours that you can't yeah. get around. You can't shortcut. And the reading that seems so simple, you know, I dare any any of the listener to this podcast to go in their closet, bring a little flashlight (laughs) and read out loud for two hours. If you make a mistake, stop and go back to the beginning of the sentence. Uh, If you make any noise, if your clothes rustle, if you, uh, your headphones drop on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. Read and read ahead. Be really smooth while you're reading mentally read ahead a sentence and know what's coming change voices for characters to make it clear who's talking. I mean, there's so much, you know, and then you have to scroll the text and you're looking at the audio part. I mean, so much of my brain is active while I'm recording. And uh, even if you, if you read some interviews of famous actors who go on to record audiobooks, they say, this is one of the hardest things. And technically I think it is really, really hard. So there's a lot, there's a lot of hours just that go into it. And then there's, a really highly technical thing that you really can't understand until you do it for a while. I mean, I really had no idea what I was getting into. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it's cool. I, I get asked pretty often when people find out I write and I have audiobooks, they're like, oh, why don't you just record them yourself? And I'm like, <laughs> it is not that easy. I was like, for one, I, I'm not, I'm not an actor, you know, like it's, right. it, it you know, I, I obviously believe, I honestly believe if you're doing nonfiction, if I was, like, I would narrate my own nonfiction. Yeah, that's kind sure. of an industry standard. Yeah. You know, totally. But, and readers expect that typically, but for fiction, mm-hmm. no way. I mean, I'm not an actor. Yeah. 
it can really go awry if uh, <laughs> if the author tries to do it. But it, it can work. But it it totally depends on the person. You know, but, I didn't even read my own work. How I got into this, I wrote a book, and I was like, you know, I have an acting background. I was like, oh, I could narrate this, but I was like, you know what? This is from a a woman's point of view. It was a short book I wrote many years ago, and I was like, I, w- I want an audio book, but I'm not going to narrate it. I'm a I'm a man. uh, it wouldn't make sense for me to do it and uh, you know I kind of had a sense I'm like I don't know what goes into making an audiobook I wasn't even a big listener back then so uh, I hired someone to do it you know and and they that was when she was like when I talked to her she's like you know you you sound like you could be into this I'm like yeah I kind of am and that's that's how I got started but even if you are the author even if you have a talent for it, it you may not be the right person for your own book you know? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you mentioned, you know, when like celebrity actors, you know, like film actors and stuff do audiobooks, like I'm very hesitant to listen to those as a listener because I, because of what you said, it's not the same thing. Just because, yeah. just because, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is a, makes great movies doesn't mean he's going to be a great audiobook narrator. Yeah. Yeah. I would say a lot of them actually do, do pretty good from what I've heard. Uh, but, and there are some, some huge standouts like Will Patton is an incredible. Will Patton narrator. is awesome. I almost yeah. feel like he has transcended and become more of an audiobook narrator. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, yeah. Well, as he's gotten older, he's been doing more. Well, he does Stephen King. So, he, you know, on and off, yeah. he'll do, he'll do his books. And I, yeah. actually, I was, I was thinking of Will Wheaton. That's who I was thinking of when I said that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know Will. Isn't that interesting? You... Yeah. I met him before I got into any of this stuff doing, uh, he, he did some comedy stuff on stage. We were in some shows together and mutual friends and all that stuff. He actually came to my brother-in-law's wedding. Huh. And, uh, yeah, that was before all of that audiobook stuff blew up. I, I kind of wish, uh, I haven't seen him in a few years and yeah, he's uh, an interesting dude too. He really blew up with that stuff. Yeah, he crushed it. I remember, like, I think Ready Player One was one of the first books I heard him. Yeah, him. he was awesome on that. <laughs> yeah, he had the perfect. I mean, see, now that's casting, right? Like, he's kind of got that sardonic. You know, it was really perfect for that book. And the author or whatever. I mean, how do you even get an AI or, you know, it doesn't, nothing makes sense. It's like, it is a perform. I mean, if I think there's different ways to approach it, but I think it is a performance. I mean, you can have the storyteller version where it's like, you know, an old man telling you a story and doesn't do any big voices or anything. And that's totally valid. But the trend the last few years is more performative. So I don't know how you do that without casting and do that with an AI and all this stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I think it's going to be a long ways off and there's always going to be a market for, uh, people doing this stuff. And I think the key is exactly what you said. I want art from a human being because art is about the human condition. So, you know, it's a curiosity to, to, or a convenience to have an AI do something, but you know, I don't know how often I would go back to a museum full of paintings done by a computer. Um, yeah. You know, it's just that that thing. Again, the problem will become when it's indistinguishable. When yes, and and I, and and that could really easily happen. I feel like that could happen easier with a book than with like music because music people thrive on live performance and and stuff like that. But with a book, you know, you can kind of have a faceless author, and, True. and you know, but absolutely true then there's a and you as a reader you put into it a lot of stuff you yeah. know you're the way the text is you know you you can 
make leaps and do jumps and skim sentences and you can fill in a lot of blanks. So I agree. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So what, so what exactly is your background? I mean, we, uh, you know, how you, you kind of, you kind of talked about how you got into voice acting, but um, I mean, were you like, what is your acting background? I guess. I mean, you know, I just, I had kind of a general arts background as a younger man. I was into painting and sculpture and doing weird performance art (laughs) and uh my 20s i got into doing just doing comedy really and i did uh, stand up and sketch and improv and that continued for many years and i did some plays and stuff and took some classes and it was kind of like i called myself a hobby actor at that point um and yeah it's always so it's been there you know since my 20s and then yeah i got into um you know, I've always been interested in writing and, and literature, so everything kind of just came together with the audiobook thing, uh, where I, I took one of the books that I wrote, and it had gained some traction, and I had gotten a starred review in Publishers Weekly, and Amazon picked it up for one of their imprints, and they were like, hey, we're going to be advertising this over Christmas on Kindles. I was like, oh, I need an audiobook." <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> um, and it wasn't, you know, it's a really niche strange book. So it, it's not like it did huge business, but I was glad I went through that process and learned about it. And just, again, it was just a, a matter of, and I had done a little teeny bit of voice acting before, um, I did a interactive CD-ROM title in the 90s called How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. And it, <laughs> before Marvel was like anything, it was kind of funny. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Dug that thing up uh, recently, and that was kind of funny to listen to. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, just I was just mostly a hobby actor, just doing it for fun. And I would do a lot of comedy shows and direct some stuff and just involved in that as my social and kind of hobby outlet and after writing and getting my audiobook produced it was just kind of the thing i was itching for a career change i had been doing uh graphics for the entertainment industry for almost 20 years i did animation and main titles and things like that for tv shows mostly and i was just kind of running out of steam on it and getting old and uncool so (laughs) i was like I was like, eh, time for a change. And it just kind of, it just fell in. In fact, one of the shows that I used to perform in, we did an old-time radio show. I don't know if you're familiar with old-time radio, but pre-TV, people would listen to these dramas on the radio, these weekly dramas or detective mysteries and things, and they would have a full cast and sound effects. Well, we did a show like that, an improvised show like that. So we would get some suggestions from the audience, and we would just kind of, we would be dressed up in the old, 40s costumes and have a Foley guy and a keyboardist and we would do this amazingly hilarious show if I don't say so myself (laughs) uh, (laughs) of these old time radio things I did that on and off for 10 years and that kind of prepared me in a really weird way for this job which was very similar storytelling primarily focused on audio so yeah I mean that's I, I was kind of like preparing myself for this job for many years without ever knowing it. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Recently I was having a conversation, I think it was with Jay and JD who I do writers Inc with. And uh, we were, 
we were all agreeing, you know, I was, I was a musician in my twenties, did some touring and stuff like that. I'm a writer now, but I think that stand up comedy, even never having done it has to be the hardest <laughs> um, <laughs> art, art, like performance art I could possibly think of. I, um, I would say being in a bar at 2am and performing for six people is really it does take a lot. <laughs> I've done that in a band. So yeah, exactly. I, I get it. <laughs> um, yeah. Waiting all night for your six minute spot. And then like exactly. everybody gets up and leaves right before you get on. I, you know, I didn't do a ton of it and yeah, I yeah. just felt like I was more suited to ensemble work. I'll put gotcha. it that way, but it, it is definitely, I mean, that's, that's definitely a challenging, challenging thing. I mean, there's a lot of writing you have to do. And then just crafting that performance again and again and again, not being afraid of repetition and failure. Because you could do a set one night and it just destroys. And you could do the exact same set the next night and you just get murdered. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. That's that's what I've always heard about, you know, yeah. stand up comedy and stuff, people who are really into it. But Yeah. And it becomes really it just takes up your whole life. You 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 have to sort of really be want it. That's what you're if you want to be successful at it, that becomes your focus. And then you have to start traveling and doing to, to, if you want to make a living doing it. So that whole arc, I knew people who, who were doing that and it just was not, I was like, nah, I'll just stick to my high paying graphics job and yeah. <laughs> do this on the side. So how long, so you're doing voice full time now, right? Yeah, I have. I how mean, long I, has that been? Uh, probably five, five years, maybe going on six. I, I mean, when we, when you and I first started, um, I just kind of made the leap. It was, I just feel like it was just really this amazing confluence where, like I said, I had been sort of prepared for it. So I immediately had a lot of success in terms of auditioning and getting jobs. And it was at the right time with the indie community too, where a lot of books were kind of coming in and, you know, I was just able to get enough work where, I mean, maybe book two or three, I was like, I need to buy a booth. I need to, I need to get yeah. serious about it. And I just, you know, when I pick, when I pick a lane, I'm just, I get really laser focused and that became very consuming for me. And so, yeah, I just, I saw it as something like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this now. And that, that was my focus. So I did a little bit of, you know, my old job, luckily I could do in, you know, I wasn't going into an office or anything. It was, it was always working out of my own space and, and setting my own hours. So I was able to continue doing a little bit of that. And then I finally gave it up, shut the website down a few years ago and, you know, packed up my Emmy and <laughs> called it a day. <laughs> nice. Right on. Yeah, yeah. So you weren't, so were you, when you were doing the graphics job, were you working for a company or for yourself or? I would work for a production company. I mean, I was, I was an independent, Okay, uh, gotcha. I was like a mini production company myself and occasionally for bigger jobs. One year I did all the Polaroid video at CES, which was a massive job. And I, oh, brought I in, imagine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I brought in, I hired people. I had an office space and all that stuff. And, but uh, a lot of the time it was just me sort of at a computer working all night. Uh, trying to get this stuff done. They always were graphics. They were always like, oh yeah, we're almost done with this show. Oh, we need an open title and we need all these graphics and stuff. And so I would be the last call and they'd be like, okay, we have like a week. What can you do? Um, but I did a lot of work for MTV and VH1 in the day. And 
you know, they would have a show and, you know, what was that big one I used to do? Oh, I love the eighties. I love the nineties. Oh. <laughs> I did That's all funny, that. Man. Yeah. So I did all of those. I did a lot of stuff. I mean, just all kinds of different stuff, mostly what we call show packages and gotcha. these little production companies sort of pop into existence around a show. So you have, Hey, we have a new TV show and then boom, suddenly it's like a little company and then they would hire me to, to do it. And I would concept some stuff and pitch it to them and then create it and animate it and do everything. I was kind of a one man band for the most part. Gotcha. So your, so your transition into doing this full time was probably pretty seamless. I would imagine. Yeah, it was pretty quick. Uh, and you know, just sort of, you have to be, it usually takes longer. I mean, I kind of went about it a different way. I worked with a lot of indie authors, whereas my peers, they look to establish relationships with the audio book production companies yeah. that provide most of the work and just and pay you. Whereas I would take on a lot of these royalty share deals with authors where I would get a, a part of the half of the audiobook royalty and not get paid by the author, you know, any amount or the rights holder and just kind of hope for the best. I was so my original plan was like, well, I can only write so many books, but I could narrate like a hundred books. And if yeah. I have a piece of every audiobook, this could really add up. I could get off the treadmill a little bit. And uh, that's, that was my approach. And it was, it worked for me most of the time, but I mean, even recently, it's kind of crazy. There was a, there was, you know, you talk about how expensive it is to produce an audiobook, and it can be thousands of dollars, right? Mm -hmm. So I had an author I reached out to with a really popular fantasy book, an indie author. And uh, she was like, yeah, okay, maybe, yeah, we should do it. I like your sample. And uh, she's like, how much? And like, I told her it was, it was a long book. It was going to be like $5,000 or something. Like, it's a lot of money, right? Yeah. And she was like, oh, no, my author friends say it should only be like $1,000. And I was like, man, it's a 23-hour book. <laughs> like, it's going to take me 60 hours or something ridiculous, you know. With, and and I was like, nah, but you want to split the royalties? And we came around, I split the royalties. Man, I've made three or four times that on the royalties. That's awesome. Like, yeah, like, so it's it's it can work that well. Now, does she have regret? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm sure she does. <laughs> I, have, I have a buddy who was in that same situation and did royalty share. And I think made like the first couple of months paid for that book, like seven yeah. times or something. And he was like, Oh my yeah. God, I'm in this for seven years now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it can, it can go both ways over, but over my whole average of doing all of those types of deals, I'm kind of just made out pretty good like above average i would say so there's there's ones that don't work as well but you it's like it's like making movies you want that one big blockbuster hit and then you have all the other movies you're doing at the same time i guess well i think so too i think too like you know there's a lot to say even like let's look at our like when we did empty bodies you know that did not do that hasn't done as well as i think we both hoped it would have done but no but we had you know what happened with that one is that audible provided a stipend for yeah, I yeah. think the first book where they did pay me uh, some amount, I forgot what it was. Yeah. And so that sort of underwrote the series in my yeah. mind. So I didn't end up, you know, I ended up okay with that and I was happy to do it. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, you want, you kind of struck, you struck gold with that though. Yeah, originally. I got lucky. <laughs> yeah, the Kindle versions, they were just doing huge business. 
Yeah, right. I could have gone full time right when that first book came out, probably if I really wanted to. Yeah. But I waited a couple more years. <laughs> it was huge. You hit the beginning of that zombie moment. That's what happened. Oh. Yeah, it and was right. Oh. The Walking. It was. It wasn't right when The Walking Dead had come out, obviously, but the that the popularity had really spiked in that show and stuff. And it yeah. was because the zombie genre is very cyclical. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's going to go up and down, and and uh, and I just hit at the right time. And I mean, because it's not. I mean, you even said about my my Dead South, what you're working on now. I mean, and I know this, the writing is 10 times better than it was in Empty Bodies. Yeah. And, well, you but, know, but you know what? Readers don't care. I notice it because I have to read every word, right? Yeah. But readers just want a good story. Yeah. I have extremely popular books where the writing could definitely use a polish or whatever. But I don't think readers care that much. Yeah. And I am proud of the story I told with that series. And it's still to this day makes me a good chunk of my, my income every single month. So, cool. but, uh, but what, what I was saying, what I was going to say yeah. was before we kind of went on a tangent was, uh, was, but I thought about all that and I thought about how professional you were and all this stuff when I did come to dead South and, you know, now again, even though empty bodies maybe hasn't made the royalties we want, and I'm glad to hear the stipend worked out and everything. Yeah. Like, but I thought, I really thought about that when I was looking for narrators for this series, I was like, man, Craig was always professional. You know, he uh, just was awesome to work with. He he's, it, it does a great job. So now, you know, I'm paying you outright to do. Yeah. And this is probably going to be a nine book series. So, you know, you're going to do okay on this, I think. So. Yeah, I'll do fine. Like, yeah. that's as much as I would make working for a publisher. You know, it's not, uh, it's my friends and family, right, with you. But it's so funny. I much prefer working with indie authors just because, first of all, I make more more money. And it's like, it's a more intimate exchange. Yeah. Like, I've done, I have do maybe 20% of my work through these big audio publishers like Podium or whatever. And I just get sort of handed a book and I don't have any contact with the author and it, it feels a little more like a job. Whereas when I'm working directly with an author, it's just a, it's just more rewarding experience. I feel a little more in it, you know? So yeah, I'm going to, I'll do fine. And I hope the books do really well too. I think they're really, uh, so far, I really love the series. It's really great. Yeah. It's been, it's been selling well on an ebook and paperback and stuff. So I'm, I'm hopeful the audiobooks will, uh, in the long term will, will do really, really well. So. Yeah. Get some, we'll get some bundles together and you'll, I think. Yeah. That's what I'm excited about. <laughs> yeah. They, they just definitely, if they get up above a certain threshold, then you're fine. You'll do fine. You know, they'll, so one thing I'm curious about, like, I want to talk a little bit about your process and what your, I guess I have a couple of questions. Um, the, the first thing I want to ask is like, so let's take Dead South, for instance. So when I sent you Dead South, I, I have this thing when I'm working and, and I'm sure you love this is I, I realize that the, the people I contract out to do things, I do the same thing with my cover artist. I give them as little information as possible. <laughs> I feel like you guys probably love that because I know working with other authors, the way I do like doing coaching and stuff, a lot of newer authors, when they go to get a cover made, for instance, they will be so particular to their cover artists about everything they want. And I'm like that they know what they're doing. Like if you get someone who knows the genre, like just let them go with it, give them as much information as they want, but don't overload them. Yeah. And so like when we worked on dead South, I think I only gave you like one or two little things. That- yeah. You offered to let me know who the main character was based on. And, you know, I kind of have a sense actually, 
in retrospect. Yeah. But I'm glad I didn't know. It's like an actor going in. There are different approaches. And I think you can, you can um, know everything, you, you know, that the author was thinking exactly. Just like an actor going into a biopic is like, well, you want to meet the guy you're going to be portraying. A lot of them are like, no, 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 I don't want to meet them. Yeah, and some are like, yeah, I'm going to hang out with them. So it's it just depends on the approach. So for me, I, I think I like to have a little discovery in my process. So, yeah, I'll read the book. You were like, do you want to know what actor I was thinking of? I'm like, mm, no, because I don't want to do an imitation of someone. Of I don't want to even accidentally do an imitation, you know, even subconsciously be doing an imitation. Um, and just have the performance be its its own thing. Can't you know? It's hopefully it'll hit, <laughs> and hopefully it won't miss. But um, yeah, that's just that's just my process. I don't know if there's a, a right or a wrong with it, but I would hate for a listener to be 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 in the middle of an audiobook and thinking like, "Oh, he's doing an impression of Charles Grodin," <laughs> you know, or whatever. Because <laughs> then you're they're out of the book. They're not yeah, listening. exactly. Yeah, so, that's what was so cool though is like when I listened to Dead South, you know, it was. Like you nailed it. Like the characters all sounded amazing. They had their own voices. Um, you specifically do an awesome uh, Hispanic Latino. Like that was <laughs> uh, my character, Hugo. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> you did, re you did <laughs> really good. But, um, but so- One of the guys I gave a super heavy, I was like, you were like, oh, let's just sprinkle in some of the Southern accents. And then one guy, I was just like, I just pulled the trigger on that the I, I think older I guy. And it was perfect. Yeah. yeah. I was like, you know what? He had one y'all. And guess what? He's he's getting <laughs> oh, it all now. Wait, wait till you read. I'm on, I'm writing book five right now and it's coming out in December. And oh, nice. wait, there's like a couple super hillbilly characters in there you'll have fun with. <laughs> They're only in the book for a minute. For like uh -huh. a chapter, but I think you'll you'll have a lot of fun with them. Well, we need more good hillbillies, Zach. I'll tell you, there's a lot of villainous hillbillies I've done in my time. Deliverance. It's because of deliverance. It must be. <laughs> it must be. So, like, so do you is your process to sit down and actually read the book and take notes before you go to actually narrate it? Or I mean, it depends on like if in the genres that, that you and that I've you know, you and I both primarily work in the same genre, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, so, like, I've done a lot of post-apocalyptic. I've done zombie stuff. So I kind of, like, um, didn't need to go so deep with it. But if it's something totally new, if I were doing, uh, you know, a cozy romance, which I've never done before, I'd be like, all right, let me sit down. I'm not going to do anything else but read this book. And I do read it faster. I'm not reading it, like, as intently. But I'm looking for any clues about characters that might uh, affect the way that I portray them vocally or just emotionally or anything. So I do a very, uh, a sort of a quick read, like a slow skim, I guess you could call it. And yeah, I'll take, I'll t definitely take notes on characters. Um, but if it's a genre I'm more familiar with, sort of the less prep I'll do because I feel really comfortable in those those worlds, and I want to I want to have that discovery, almost not quite the level of somebody just picking up the book and reading it, but something you know I'm I'm sort of in the same ballpark as them, because if I totally know what's coming, it may not, you know I just feel like that little bit of of surprise moment to moment work might get a little dulled so 
I don't, I don't over prep. I think that's, and I think that's true of most narrators who've worked enough. Like after a while, after 20, 30 books, you might be like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be underlining and highlighting dialogue and doing all those things. I mean, you can go pretty crazy with prep. Um, and I have some tools that I use to help me along with it too. I, um, I'm a little bit of a technical <laughs> nerd, so I have my own reader software that will that actually will highlight dialogue for me. And oh, that's cool! In alternating, that called? Uh, what I I call it Page Melter, but it's my own. It's just for me. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I I have a little. I and you know I'll look for keywords about um, accents and dialects and things like that. But yeah, I don't do I don't do tons and tons of prep. I mean, there was a book I did a couple of weeks ago that took place in the Caribbean and a lot of it was written in dialect. And I, it's, you know, it's one of those things where I got to be really careful. You know, I don't want to make a parody of the way somebody's talking, especially somebody who's a person of color or things like that. So that requires more prep (laughs) where I'm like, really watching YouTube interviews of people talking who are natives of, you know, of the Caribbean in this case, and trying to be respectful to the author, what they wrote, their way they wrote the dialogue, and also making these, these real people, you know, it's just, so it it varies book to book. I don't need to do that for the zombies, for example, (laughs) very few interviews I can reference. Even, I mean, even our Southern characters, it's the same thing. I think there was a book, um, yeah, I, I'll, occasionally I'll, I, I remember finishing a chapter a couple of weeks ago, stopping and then redoing all the dialogue of one of the characters, because I was like, that, that wasn't right, and it wasn't respectful enough. Now, if I had prepped super intensely, maybe that wouldn't have happened, but I don't know, I just like the moments that are more spontaneous. I mean, thinking back yeah. even to Empty Bodies, there was a moment in that one where the there was a woman checking into a hotel or trying to get help at, ho- at a hotel and she was like super annoying and i did it in a i sort of spontaneously made this choice about the way she was annoying in particular and you were like oh my god i really love that yeah i remember that <laughs> yeah and if i had over prepped it or overthought it i might have ended up in a more neutral place or in a more sort of not as exciting place so it depends i like to have a little the the, the short answer is i read it uh i do a pass of reading on it if there are any notes or questions i make those notes i ask those questions but i don't like to go too hard and heavy i mean there are uh, colleagues of mine who will give a questionnaire to an author and be like if this character was a tree what kind of tree would it be <laughs> you know or whatever yeah. you know, they'll ask all of these questions and that's helpful helpful for them helpful for them uh but for me i just kind of trust my instincts in the moment yeah that it's it's awesome man and, and one of the things that really fasc- fascinates me about it and the way you work is the fact that again you don't ask for a lot and you know i'm I'm very minimal about when I come to a character, I give very minimal description of who that character is, like what they look like. I try, I, cause I want the reader to really imagine that person in their head, you know? Um, and, and I try to, I, I, I try, which I think good writing, you should do this 
to try to let the story and let the characters dialogue and such tell you more about who that character is. I, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm a big fan of that style and I think you yeah. do it well. You, you have a really great sense of character. It's funny you say that because I always get a really great sense of your characters as being really kind of specific and defined, but you don't lay it all out. Yeah. It's just coming out through their actions and their dialogue. It's much better than an inventory of their looks or something like that. Exactly, which a lot of authors, especially new authors, do that. But um, again, like you know, it's it's better just to, to me to just let the the reader kind of fill that in. And but that's what's amazing. Like I don't know, maybe it's uh, maybe I'm tooting my own horn, and it's just a compliment to my own writing that you <laughs> nailed my character so well. No, I think so, I think but... it's in the writing. I mean, I get most of it from the manuscript, moment to moment. I mean, I really do. So it, I think it's a testament to to the, your techniques for sure. I mean, there's there's other books. You know, there was a, a series of of post apoc books I did. How can I be nonspecific? Um, <laughs> well, the characters were really nonspecific. Okay, mm -hmm. let's say that there were these three characters who were all just just described. Their main description was just. They were ex-military and that was it, the end. <laughs> and that's fine, but the way they talked was the same. There was nothing specific, you know, and I, you know, I can't quite go out on a limb and just give one of them a Scottish accent for no reason, right? Yeah, it has to be in the text. So I struggled a little bit trying to separate them, but you know what? I think readers would struggle to separate them, just somebody reading the text. Yeah. as well so it's like whatever is in the manuscript i mean that's that's what i'm distilling down and occasionally i'll make a choice that feels risky because it's not totally in the manuscript like you know giving that guy in your in, in our last book a, a heavier southern accent um i did that in another book too where he wasn't called another guy wasn't called out with an accent but he was from texas and he was a senator so i gave him the you know fancy texas accent and the author was thrilled you know it could but it could have gone the other way i haven't had anybody do that there was one uh there was a character <laughs> who was just who had some kind of throat issue or cancer or something and they were described as whispering and rasping the whole time and i was like <laughs> i can't and he had these long passages of explanatory key stuff to the plot and I, I did it the way I thought, which was just kind of back down a little bit. And the author was like, you know, it should be raspier and whispier. I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't want to listen to that for five minutes. No. Yeah. yeah. It's like you were going to go buy one of those voice box things. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Talking right. about it for five minutes straight. And luckily they listened to reason and, and we didn't end up re-recording that. So yeah, it's, a, you know, it's, it's this kind of, these kind of questions are, are what make the job interesting, I guess you could say. Is it, is it weird for you to have to, um, cause this is like something that I, I guess, I guess a lot of people are struggling with, especially in our time is, is offending people, I guess. So like, is it, but I think about, I always think about an audiobook narrator when I think about including like a homophobic or racial slur, like, Man, is it I'll weird let... to read that stuff to you or? Yeah. I mean, like I'm the, I'm in. I don't want to sound like it's a burden, but I'm, I'm a tall, bald, white guy, right? Like yeah. I'm just, I'm the well, most I'm a short, privileged. bald, white guy. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get it, you know? we're, we're some of the most privileged people on the planet. So things have gotten a little trickier in the sense it, it hasn't, it hasn't. Cause from the beginning, when you're acting, everybody should 
every character should be like treated. You should never be making fun of any character. You should no. the character doesn't know they're in a book, right? So you need to be like as committed and truthful with them as you can. And we talk about truth a lot in this in the acting part. So is it tricky? Yes. I remember one of the first books I picked up a collection, or I was working on a collection of um, extreme horror. And one of those is really an intensely, you know, race-based kind of a thing. And I actually ended up dropping out of that, not because of that, but because I got nauseous from the... <laughs> from oh, the yeah, I can horror. see that, yeah. But that did bring up some questions for me. And, I mean, I'm... I would say, ultimately, I look at it as acting, and I'm not too worried about it. If something really went against my beliefs, I wouldn't do it. I mean, look, a lot of the prepper stuff goes very hard right. It you absolutely know, it, does, yeah. And it becomes, some of it I would even call kind of a right-wing fantasy in a lot of ways. Like the... the you just made a new genre. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm going to ruin it. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm bothering anybody with this, but like it, it is, it's like the devout and prepared are yeah. the ones who are rewarded. But like, you know, I think life's a little more complicated than that. So... Sometimes I'm reading passages or I'm like, oh, here's another villain that happens to be of a certain ethnicity. And, you know, you get a little, I, I feel, I have a momentary feeling of like, I wish, I wish as a society, we, 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 we strive for a little bit better and more complex and more gray things. But hey, that's not always what a reader or a listener wants. They want, they want to hear the same tropes. And, and I'm like, you know, I have a moment of feeling like, as a person, I feel like we could do better. And then, but as a performer, I'm like, you know what? It's my job to, to just commit to what this person has written. So and it's, and I, ultimately I'm not responsible for that part of it, right? They have written it. I'm performing it. Other actors do seem, seem to struggle sometimes with, with those questions. And certainly if somebody came to me with a book that was massively against my beliefs in a, especially nonfiction, I would, just turn it down and yeah. move on to something else. So Yeah, that's what, you know, as, as an author, I have the same attitude as you. Like, it's just, if every character in the book was like me, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I'm never going to say the N word, you know, like, but my, I have characters in my book who would say that to oh, an African-American character. And, you know, I get emails about that and I'm just like, I'm not racist. That character is racist. Yeah, and, 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 and you know what? That language is in the world. I'm not going to pretend like yeah. it's not. You know, yeah, I think you can have like again the book, the the book, the only book I published uh, years ago was from the perspective of a woman in a in a marital crisis. It's like, am I a woman in a marital crisis? No, but I know what it's like to be have a difficult time in a marriage with kids. Therefore, you know, I, I think as a human being, I can relate to this. So, yeah. as a as an author, that's what you're doing. You're channeling like, okay, I'm going to relate to this hatred or this, you know, or, you know, even if it's a, even if you're describing something in kind of a, I don't know, a racist way, for example, it's like, well, that's filtered through the perspective of the book or whoever main perspective in the book it is, if it's not the totally omniscient Chekhov style narrator. So it's not you, it's, it's part of the fiction. So some people it, don't understand that though. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think, but I think honestly, that's going to be people who don't read a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. how can you be a fan of fiction and get outraged? I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know. I think that would be tough. 
Yeah. I think, I, I think it's people who are not super, you know, consumers of literature and, and reading and things like that. Yeah. I mean, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but yeah. I feel like there's kind of the same thing that happens with like, we talked about stand up comedy earlier, mm-hmm. like people, stand up comedians get criticized. And I think a lot of times it's by people who don't appreciate the art and understand like, there's a difference between jokes and hate speech. <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, and I think it's, yeah, it's worth having the conversation and I don't, I, I think it's not worth shutting down, but I, but ultimately, yeah, I'm going to fall on the side of, you know, it's the, a lot of it is, is really the art of it. And yeah. there's a lot of missing the point and sensationalist headlines about a lot of that stuff. Do I think times have changed? Yes. There's certain things. Yeah. I mean, shit from my comedy days. <laughs> Yeah, There's stuff I would not do now Absolutely. at all, and for the better, you know, for yeah, sure. Yeah, totally for the better. I was I was just as ignorant as anybody else. I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin, and I didn't see another non-white person until I was like eighteen or something like that. It was insane. We, yeah. you know, like, it was very segregated there. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious uh, to kind of shift gears a little bit. Sure. Um, uh, uh, I, I'm I'm always fascinated by people's like pro like not process but I guess like product like day to day. It's like what is what is a day for you as a professional voice actor, audiobook narrator? Like what does that look like? Well, um, I in the more I mean I I think it's in the morning I'm just taking care of uh, you know emails and, and normal stuff like that, procrastinating as long as I can. <laughs> so you do that too? Good. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. That's Put not just a writer as, thing. Awesome. Long as possible, especially when I, and I've done I don't know like 170 books or something like that, right? But still, and I was talking to Ray Porter actually, who's a he's narrated hundreds of books. Awesome. Another extremely great narrator, popular yeah. narrator, yeah, incredibly yeah. talented guy. And we were talking, and it was like. It, uh, we're talking about process and I was like, you know, it's not the doing it. It's the getting in the booth. It's starting. And he's like, absolutely. He's like, I could be done. I was like, I could be done by noon. And he's like, yeah, me too. Totally. I hear you. It's the same thing. So there's a lot of procrastination, especially with the new book I'm approaching. And I think there's just this perfectionist thing of like, am I going to do this right? (laughs) And you're sort of, I'm always a little worried about not doing it right. But anyway, so I procrastinate a little bit, hopefully not too much. And I've already at this point prepared uh, my scripts, which I would usually do in between books uh, is prepare my next manuscript, done my research, whatever. And yeah, I'll just get in the booth as soon as I can. And I'll work for an hour, which will create about half an hour of recorded material with mistakes, stops and starts, just me giving myself a different direction and retaking something. Um, but it's sort of a two to one ratio. So every two hours I spend in the booth, I get one finished hour. So I'll spend an hour, I'll take a short break, get back in, do another hour and, uh, and take a lunch, an endless lunch <laughs> where the process starts again of forcing myself to, to actually work you know, get myself back in the booth in the afternoon and, and do the same thing twice more. So I will have spent four hours talking and have two hours uh, of finished audio. Now for me, actually, I'm not always super successful getting those two finished hours. It depends on the material. It depends on just how I'm feeling. I mean, I, I imagine it's similar to writing where it's like your goal is to do 1500 words a day, 
and you're like, I can do this. I can type out everything you're saying. I can relate to (laughs) some days. It's like these three sentences are all I'm getting. So I've absolutely had the same thing happen where it's just like for whatever strange reason, I have to accept that it's a, it's a performance. It's a, it's technically challenging and not be too hard on myself to be like, well, today I got half an hour done and that was it. I don't know what the hell happened to the rest of the day. Uh, but typically it's just, it's really punching a clock in a way. You really just have to put the time in there, no shortcuts and just get your butt in the chair and get it done. And, and I'll do that until the whole sort of draft of the book is complete. Um, the, the first pass of it, the, the recording. When that's done, that gets uh, sent to an editor and proofer, one in the same, usually in my case, same okay. person. And they so you don't do so you don't do any of the actual like computer part of the edit like well I'm a little more technical minded so I my that's audio what I was asking yeah pretty ready to go kind of, okay. out, of the, out of the booth I even use a system of real time well you know audio stuff I use universal audio yep. stuff and so I'm confident enough to record uh, wet <laughs> I guess you yeah, could say I like, got you yeah uh, with you know, a, a lot compressor and some other stuff to clean up the audio a little bit. And also as I'm recording, and this is true of most narrators, professional narrators, if I make a mistake, I stop and I actually rewind my playhead back and I punch in. Yeah, I listen yeah. to it rolling back, myself talking in the headphones, and I jump right back in. So in the end, I have a seamless thing. Nothing needs to be edited out. So the the editor's job in my case is just... Hear, if they hear my clothes rustle or, you know, something happens or a car goes by that's too loud, um, stuff like that, or a breath is too loud, they might take those kinds of things out and format it correctly. But my stuff ends up pretty much in spec right out of the booth. Not, most people don't do that. Most people. Yeah, I could see, yeah, but you having that technical background and being able to navigate the audio software. Yeah, I'm just super nerdily into all of that that technical side, and there's a few of us that do that, but most of the time, you just have raw audio. You send it to be mastered and cleaned up by a professional, but I'm kind of a dangerous amateur in that (laughs) I know some stuff. Um, So, yeah, and working again with indie authors, if I were working for... um, a publishing company, audio publishing company, they just want raw audio anywhere that would be unprocessed and they have their own editors and things. And then a a few weeks later you get back your pickups. So yeah, when it's, when they're done listening to it, when the proofer is finished, they'll send you back a list of corrections of, of missing sentences or misspoken words or something like that. Usually for me, it's not a lot. I'm, I'm pretty laser focused. Have Um, you, have you found, um, you know, you said you try to get about four hours a day in. Have you found that that's like about what your voice can handle? Because I have to think that's a big, keeping your voice healthy. Is a yeah, big yeah. For me, I and mean, I'm kind of puzzled always or confounded by a lot of my colleagues who can, who can easily do that. And I actually think it's, I have a deeper voice. I got bigger bellows to work. <laughs> I yeah. Think, I really think that's part of it because I do kind of poop out. And I don't want to have a ass-dragging performance you know, for the last two chapters I do that day. So I will absolutely stop if I'm just feeling too tired, you know, mentally or physically for that's my max for sure. My actual goal in my own, uh, the software I use to track my, my daily productivity 
is actually three hours in butt and chair. That's that's my goal. If I hit that, I feel okay about myself. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. That, and, that's perfect. And if I really push, you know, it, and depending on the material, you know, some some books can just be really complex if they're if they're always like these compound sentences that go on and on and multisyllabic words, it can be much more difficult to get through it. Nonfiction in particular too. So you may not just, you just may not get as much done. So how, how, it, go yeah. ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say, you have to measure ash, you know, butt in chair instead of the amount you actually get done. That's, that's the best way to do it. No, that totally makes sense. Um, how, how many, uh, like on average, cause obviously what you just said, there's different, different books, you know, take more time, but on average, do you have like, do you try to finish a certain amount of projects per month or, or do you have like an average you usually hit per month? I probably finish about two per month. Um, but I would have to look back and it depends. Cause you know, some, sometimes I might have a 20 hour book and yeah, of course, yeah. other times a four or five hour book. So it, it really, it varies a lot lately. It's been about one book her week has been my goal, but I've been, you know, one of the kids gets sick or something weird happened. Yeah, I remember that happened <laughs> with, the, oh, with I think, with Dead yeah. South. Yeah. My daughter had this, yeah, she, her arms started hurting like really bad. And we were like, oh shit. And they were like, we finally were like, we took her in and the, the pediatrician was like, yeah, you should go to x-ray right now. And we we're like, uh, what? She's got leukemia. What's going on? And finally get the result back. It's like, nah, she's super constipated. <laughs> and you're like, what? Whoa, that's, but like, it can all that's transmit so or something. Yeah, it's just so weird. But that was like this, it was just so, honestly, during that, it's like, it's just sort of mentally, like, it takes up so much space oh, in my yeah. head. <laughs> I'm like, I can't focus on this. I can't get this done. I'm just, we're preoccupied. We're waiting for test results or you know, I got to go pick up the, my other kid because my wife's at the doctor. So, yeah, sometimes you just get derailed with who knows what, you know. That's one of the things that that a lot of people don't understand about really highly creative jobs is, you know, it's one thing if, you know, and I'm saying this to someone who used to do this, you know, my old job, I did, I spent a lot of time at the desk, just like punching stuff in Excel sheets. That's really easy to do no matter what is on your mind, but it's, it's hard to sit down and, and create and have to put forth this energy. If you have other distractions in your head. Yeah, for <laughs> so, sure. I mean, how do you, how do you handle less productive days? Oh man, it's a, uh, it's tough. Like I, I've gotten to a point where, you know, one of the things I try to do, you know, like I, I'll, I have some things I'll do. I'll get away from the computer for a little bit. Um, I'll try to go on walks. That's a really big thing. I'll just try to get out of the house for a little bit. Um, and, but I've also kind of come to the point where I just realized they're going to happen every now and then. Like, I'm usually pretty good about getting my ass in the chair and just getting shit done. But like you said, that's not always easy. Um, but, uh, I, some, I just kind of accept some days that I'm going to have that I can't do it. And I, those are days I just, I feel like that's my mind and my body telling me to take a break and it's okay. And just not to do like, and maybe not necessarily don't work, but maybe spend some time doing admin stuff or doing other things and just hit, hit the desk again tomorrow. My, my rule I have for myself, and this goes back to uh, like James Clear and the book Atomic Habits, don't let yourself do that two days in a row. Yeah, yeah so book. I never yeah. let myself have two days in a row where that, and, and like, they don't happen that often, 
but I, I've gotten to a point where I really don't beat myself up too hard when I have those days because they happen. I mean, that's the, I, honestly, that's such a critical part of it is because you will end up in a, I mean, I, I will end up in a spiral. If I, if I really beat myself up about it, then the next day I'm not prepared to start again. I'm actually in a worse place because yeah. I feel bad about yesterday. So I think, yeah, just letting go and being like, Hey man, this is going to be a few days late. This is going to be a week late. You know, yeah. when I'm, I have responsibility to, to other people. I think it's actually pretty difficult in your position too, where maybe you've made a schedule or you have milestones you're trying to hit yeah. and you're only sort of disappointing yourself, but it's just as important, you know? Yeah. For me, I'm not really a goal setter. So like I used to chase word counts and try to hit certain amount of words every day. Now it's more important to me to, I, I, I found that that kind of stressed me out. And now it's more important to me to just make sure that I'm in the chair being productive and I work in time blocks um, oh, I love and, time and blocks. whatever I get yeah. done in those blocks is what I get done. And the way I yeah. look at it is as long as I'm in the chair and I'm making progress, then I'm not going to beat myself up. And that has taken a lot of stress off my shoulders. Now, That's right now, I, I did kind of right now, I did kind of do something stupid. I'm not going to do again. And I put a book on pre-order before <laughs> I even started writing it. <laughs> so now I am kind oh, of, uh, got the uh now clock. I'm, yeah, now I'm kind of freaking, I have to have a book to my editor a week from today and I'm going to, I'm going to hit it, but it has caused some unnecessary stress that I'm like, mm. I'm not going to do that because I know <laughs> I'm going to get it done, but it, I don't really yeah. need to put those, those outside stress things on me. So I agree. I agree. You know. Well, good luck with that. I'm sure you'll get it done. Well, um, a couple other things I was going to ask you about. Are you, sure. are you good on time for Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Um, cause I definitely wanted to ask, uh, about your name because people yeah. are, people who listen to this podcast might go look up our books and be like, wait a second, that's not Craig Tollefson. Yeah. Uh, so what was the idea for Andrew Tell and to use a pen name with your uh, audiobooks? Yeah, well, uh, Andrew's my middle name, so not too much okay. of a stretch and just wanted to use the same uh, letter of my last name. Um, so I, when I started, I was like, okay, the dream is I'm going to spend half my day writing my own books and half the day recording other people's books. And I don't want there to be any confusion if people are searching for Craig Tollefson's books and they find out books I've narrated mm. and maybe think, I don't know, that I was writing that. I don't know. I had this dream that people care this much but <laughs> um, or are paying that much attention to begin with. So... I was like early on, like right away, I'm just, I'm just going to use a different name and keep the two things separate. Never the twain shall meet. And, you know, the thing is, this became a, a really full-time, full-time job. So I have been doing a lot less writing and just a lot more narrating. I don't know if I would have made a different decision, but it's just an easy way to, to keep it separate, I guess you could say. Yeah. I think it's a little interesting because I do feel like Again, as going back to what we were talking about earlier, as a listener of audiobooks, if I went to an author's fiction book and they were reading it, like I that would I would pause on getting the audiobook. I feel like that kind of gives you an out because I could come yeah. read book and have no idea that you reading it. I can't wait to finish another book and then have it uh, written by Craig Tolson and narrated by Andrew Tell. That's exactly, be crazy. and no one's going to know the difference unless you go out of your way to tell them. You know, yeah, what do you write. Um, I write, I mean, all kinds of stuff, but mostly, uh, literary kind of fiction, like day okay. of, you know, normal people stuff, but like weird stuff is going on and 
Um, I like humor in my books as well. Um, I've been trying to write more genre stuff, but I haven't really, haven't really figured out exactly what I'm doing with that. But it, you know, at the time in the book, you'll find if anybody's looking around the, the book I wrote, the junior arsonist club is just about a woman who's like, they've adopted this, uh, young girl who keeps trying to set fire to the couch and, <laughs> but her, her marriage is falling apart too. And it's, gotcha. it's just this moment in their lives and kind of this strange, you know, heightened, everything's really heightened and it's dark, funny kind of a thing. I like that. And, um, I wish, I kind of wish I would write more of it, but I'm always like, I don't know, nobody's, it's great, but you know, there's not a huge market for it. Yeah. And when, speaking of being a dad, you know, when you're responsible for the family and things like that, you know, I, I think I have to be more choosy about how I'm spending my time, I guess you could say. For sure. Yeah. And I was going <clears> to, <throat> you kind of led into, I, I, I did want to ask a couple of questions about that before we get out of here. So how many yeah. kids do you have? I have two kids. I got a boy who's about to turn 12 and a, a girl who's nine. Nice. And uh, so like your vocal studio, your studio is in your house, right? It's uh, in the garage. It's okay. So, so are they pretty, I mean, obviously they're probably in school during the day. I would or are they homeschooled? Yeah. Well, during the pandemic, they were at home. They were, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the yeah, shutdown, we were, they were home for like a year. Um, and they're home this week too. Um, they don't bother me too much. If anything, I got my wife coming in here a little too much to, to, to do something. And then, you know, like, I'm like, this baby was just microwaved. And then like the door opens and she's like, I need to get a towel. Sorry. I need to get a, I need to get a tablecloth. <laughs> um, I'm like, okay, reset back to one. So yeah. And she's got her own, she's developing her own business now too. And she's got her stuff in here too. So it's a little, it's a little chaotic, but most of I think they generally understand, um, you know, not to, not to be too crazy or interrupt me unless they really need to. So it's, it's, it's gotten better, but that's the case. Anytime you work at home, yeah, nobody yeah. gets when you're working. No, they, you know, just walk was, up to you and talk to you. <laughs> and, and, and I, or my wife is really good about that now, but at first she really wasn't. And I had to, I had to tell her, I'd be like, would you, if I was at my job still, would you walk up to me and ask me the same question? No, you wouldn't because you couldn't, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, but she's, it only like, she was really good about it. And now she like never bothers me, which is. Yeah. Awesome. It takes a, it takes a few years to sink in. I think <laughs> for it does, you know, especially, you know, we were talking earlier about things that can distract you and, you know, she would walk up at like, you know, nine in the morning when I was right in the middle of, uh, you know, a, a chapter and she would ask me a, a money related question, which is the worst thing you can do to me because my mind then starts spinning and I start thinking about other things. Sure. And I always had to tell her, I'd be like, we'll set aside some time tonight to do that when yeah. I'm not being creative, but she's, she's good about it now. But those were always the things that just like a big willpower decision I would have to make or talk about. Like, I can't do that. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. So i like, with your kids and this is probably the last thing I'll ask you and we can get out of here, but uh, how do you, um, do you feel like having such a unique career path has like helped your show, help show your kids like anything's possible? Um, I mean, I think between my wife and I, they're definitely growing up with some unique um, role models. And I suspect, I think it is going to be different for them in that, you know, 
neither my wife or I are going to an office for most of their their lives uh, growing up. They haven't seen it. They've seen us at home, you know, and I've worked at home for over 20 years. Just that part of it, no matter what I'm doing, I think is something of an example to them to be like, oh, I don't have to be a, a cookie cutter, you know, office drone or whatever. Um, and I can kind of carve my own path. I think, I think so. I mean, it's, it's like being a, an entrepreneur. I mean, I am running a business. Uh, my wife is starting one up. So I think, I think that's, I think it's not like a huge difference in that. In the creative part of it, I don't know if they get it. I don't, honestly, I don't, I don't know if they totally get it. Yeah. If I was like a video game voice guy, <laughs> that would be, it would be like, oh my God, he's so cool. I want to do that. Uh, or anime. But um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I'm not sure how it's going to influence him. I think just us being here and being always around, it's a different experience than I had growing yeah, up. Let's yeah, me too. Way. Yeah, it's because both, you know, my, my mom was home for a lot of time. My dad was always like, you know, he's a, he was a hotel manager and was always like working long hours and stuff. And, you know, um, my, my wife and I are both pretty fortunate now. Like she's a massage therapist, mm -hmm. um, but only works four days a week and, and, you know, doesn't work a ton of hours. So we're, we're able to own a little bit more of our time, which is, that's, that, that's more important to me than anything, you know? Yeah. And so, and it's, uh, it's, it's to me, I asked that question because yeah, I, I love being able to kind of show my daughter exactly what you said. Like, you know, you, there isn't, a linear path that says like you have to go to college and then come out and get this, you know, nine to five <clears throat> job or whatever. You can do that if you want. And I'm not, but there's a lot, there's a lot of different ways you can make a living and, and be happy. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I mean, even for me, like just knowing like it's enough, uh, you know, like this is enough money for me to make, you know, like I don't, yeah. as weird as that sounds, which is, no, it doesn't. Fun. I say that all the time. It's like a mindset shift and living in Los Angeles is no, no joke either, but yeah, it's... I was kind of, I was, I was curious. Uh, I didn't <laughs> even get to ask you about that. Cause I know, uh, especially within the last year, uh, you know, with all some of the political stuff going on there, like I can't, I live in Nashville and yeah. I can't tell you how many people I've met from California. <laughs> I mean, Nashville is great. I would love, I, uh, but yeah, I mean, I kind of wanted to, I would vaguely wouldn't mind moving out of the center of this metropolis but because i could work anywhere but um you know we have we have other family here and and friends yeah, that makes so. a big difference yeah yeah the kids are yeah. kind of entrenched where they are so not anytime soon but it's it's just an expensive expensive city to live in we we have a few fortunate things on our side but uh so yeah i mean we're it's it's everything's been been good enough and that's and and to sort of that's a great lesson I hope that that the kids take away from is that you know you can get to a place where it's like you don't always have to push and push and push career wise and just get to a place where it's like this is supporting all the other things I want to do and that's enough you know that's awesome man well that sounds like a good place to end I have one other thing I want to ask you off air but I uh, will sure. we can get to that in a second but uh man where uh where can anything you want to promote like where can people find you online there's a lot of authors that listen to this who might be looking for audiobook narrative yeah sure I mean you can go to andrewtell.com andrewtell.com for my work website you can also go to audible.com slash andrewtell and you'll see all of my books come up um and those are the places to find me yeah 
Awesome. Well, look, man, this is an awesome conversation and I, I really appreciate it. I'm glad we got to do this. We've Yeah, I'm glad we got to do this. Yeah, we worked Thank together you. since I think we 2016 or 15 was when we yeah, did the first yeah, one. So that sounds right. It's been a while, so it's awesome to get to sit down and have this conversation with it you. Is, so I really appreciate is. you coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, man. Awesome. We'll have to do it again. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Creator Dad Podcast. I'd like to invite you to join the official Creator Dad Discord community where fellow Creator Dads like you and me connect to discuss our creative endeavors, parenting, relationships, music, movies, and TV, sports, money, all the things that dudes love to talk about. Get all the details at patreon.com slash creatordad.